Hi, um, sorry, I'm not able to be with you on site today. Um, I have a bit of an allergy uh, problem that came on this week um, and it's, it's really stuck on my lungs. Um, you can probably hear my voice is a little bit different, a bit deeper. Uh, Jody thinks I sound like a very old man right now. <coughs> um, but uh, I'm giving the message uh, via video in preparation um, on, on Saturday. So yesterday I recorded this ready for you today. Um, I hope it's a blessing for you all. Um, I appreciate those of you who are already have been praying for me and I ask for you to continue to do so as my chest becomes clearer and my breathing becomes easier. You see, last week uh, we started this new series, this Living in Community. And I, I spoke about how we are designed to be in community, how God has created us to live together. Um, and that, that thing that binds us together, unites us together is, is love. Okay. Um, those of you who, who joined us on site or, or online, you'll remember that I talked a bit about life groups and how we see that connecting with there, a place to, to, to connect, to share and to, and to love. And we're going to launch that again, uh, reminding you in September under the leadership of Anne Eustace. And if you have any questions about that, reach out to her or to myself. There's a, there's a page on the website now under ministries. Uh, life groups is there. It gives you the rationale. It gives you a bit more information. And there's a form there to, to complete if you're thinking about joining, starting a group uh, and, and how we can connect to get that, that gap that going and set up and ready and in place. I just want to, I want to reiterate right now, we are in a series. And so everything I say today will connect with what I said yeah, uh, last week and, and also in the weeks to come. Um, they'll be passing reference made to things. So if you missed last week, you're probably going to want to go and watch it or, or, or take a listen, download from the podcast, however you, you, you get that. Because um, I'm not going to dive deeply into explaining some of this. It was explained last week, but you might get it in passing reference. Today, the title of the message is No Place for Division. And we're going to specifically look into Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to open it up uh, and get to that point. Uh, and you can you can walk along with me as we as we talk about this. So keeping to that theme, living in community, the fact that we are called to be family, what can we learn? What can we learn from these verses um, that, that, we're, that we're reading, that we're looking at? Well, there's two key things, really, that I want to I want to draw out. And I will break this, this, this passage, this section, into two further sections. And we're going to break it into first verses 11 through 16. And, and, and I want to kind of call that two into one. Um, and then verses 17 through 22, which is a sure foundation. So taking those first verses, verses 11 through 16, um, it's important that we get the context of what Paul is writing into here. The Gentiles, they were looked down upon by the pious Jews. They were regarded as being unclean. Ancestry was such such an important thing and for the men well circumcision was the badge of being in covenant with god so if you didn't have it or, or rather if you still did have it then you were not one with god it is as though you were i know at best a resident alien at worst an illegal alien maybe um and talking about such things it reminds me of going through that process of of becoming a u.s citizen um a lot of paperwork a lot of medical exams, um, but it was amazing how different I was treated going through the airport after becoming a U.S. citizen. I remember just after Jody and I got married, we came, uh, came, came here 
uh, to the US to have a, a, a ceremony here as well for family that couldn't and friends that couldn't make it across to the UK. Uh, and then we went on our honeymoon to the Bahamas. And coming back to the US from the Bahamas, I was identified for a, a search. Uh, all of my bags were rummaged through. Um, and uh, there were some shocked faces from these, uh, these security guys who were going through my bags. You see, Jody and I would split up our luggage uh, for two reasons. If a bag goes missing, we still had some stuff that we needed. Um, and also for that helping with weight distribution. Um, so there were many things these men and, and women were seeing, which were not for an Englishman or any man come to think of that. Uh, and the, the, the laugh and the, and, and the faces, it, was, it, was, it just comes back to my memory uh, as we look at that. But, but like I said, ever since becoming an American citizen, I've had much less problems traveling through airports in America. I'm no longer an alien. I'm, I'm no longer any different to any other person who carries an American passport or declares themselves to be an American. I'm not saying this is a good thing or this is a bad thing. I was just always pulled up on the flights, American flights, with not an American passport, as, as someone that needed to be just having a little extra check on. Because um, I have two national identities now. But I am one person. It's similar here um, for the body of Christ in the time that, that Paul is writing. They are meant to be one, and yet they are clearly two. Uh, they're two still identities. There's the Jews and there's the Gentiles, but they're both trying to be church, but not always in the same place. Um, and this is leading to division. And, and I can understand that. I can understand that fully. There's division within me sometimes um, when we think about that. The U.S. men's national team are, are playing the English men's soccer team and 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 you know that's the football that you play with your feet there's always going to be division in me my first team's probably England but my second team is the US and I'm like ah, um what's what's going on in me I want both teams to do well but that's a trivial thing that's that's a bit of fun really in the exercise of all this when it comes to the church and the body of Christ and that what Paul's talking about and this division then that's not trivial fun that's that's serious. That's deadly serious. Um, it's interesting that here in verse 12, Paul refers to the Gentiles before they became followers of the way as having no God. And the word that he actually uses is the word from which we get that term atheist. OK, and if we take a deeper look into this, then that very term is what the Gentiles used to refer to the Jews as being and then later to the Christians as well. And might might surprise you, but but it's true. Gentiles and Jews and Christians and Gentile Christians and how it's all messing about. Pagans used to look at Christians and Jews and call them atheists. Why? Well, because the the root of that is that they didn't see them worshiping in the same way that they did. There were no statues to God. There was no uh, consulting of an oracle as part of all this equation of, of what to do and, and what not to do. There was no animal sacrifices on a large part that they could see either. And so what Paul does here is trying to help bring less division and, and, and declares in that that the pagan gods are not actually gods at all. And that those who think they're worshipping them are, in fact, worshipping a thing that does not exist. But that's not the main attack on paganism in, in this part of the of the scripture. 
because that comes later in verse 14 when he refers to Christ as being our peace. That goes far, far away from, from the, the Roman ideal because that denies the divinity of the emperor, the one from whom it was believed all peace originated and flowed. See, Paul's not really out to get at the pagans here. He's not attacking them really, but he's using this language to, to simply um, get what he's trying to say across to the community that he's writing to. His main drive is to promote unity, to lessen division, and he's doing that by speaking to something that happened before, to a way of life that the Gentiles maybe um, knew of and that the, the, the Jews knew or related to them in. See, this division, it exists because the Jew and the Gentiles are acting as two separate entities, even though they should now be one. Because why should they be one? They are all in Christ, and thus they are bound together. They are united in love. And Paul writes here in verse 15, he has abolished the law with its commandments and its ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. Okay, Christ is our peace. The opposite of peace is hostility, and we do not want hostility in the body. We may not have the problem here that the Jews and the Gentiles had in trying to coexist within that same structure, but we have our problems. We can't say we don't. The church throughout the world is splitting. Theology is starting to, in my opinion, center less on God and more on the prefix that an individual wants to assign to it. Christ went to the cross so that we may be one. OK, one with him one with each other and i spoke on this last week remember and how we're we're not saved for our own sake but for that which god wants to accomplish through us redemption reconciliation for all it's important to note that the law to which christ abolished was the man-made jewish customs the things that were introduced to create that divide between jew and gentile okay Christ himself said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And that is in Matthew 5, 17. So we're not talking here about everything that came before Christ is gone. That's the old. It's, it's no longer. No, Christ came to fulfill that. That's still very important. OK, but this added stuff, this man-made division creating laws, they're gone. Christ has come to make peace for the hostility to be eradicated. And, and by his death on the cross, he brought an end to the need for this division. His death brought peace, or at least it brought the opportunity for peace. And I love what Tom Wright says here um, on, on this subject and how it has relevance for us in today's church, because he says that as, as we face, and, and quite urgently, the question that Paul would insist on is a major priority. If our churches are still divided in any way, in any way along either racial or cultural lines, then he would say that our gospel or our very grasp of the meaning of Jesus's death is going to be called into question, should be called into question, I would argue. 
See, the demands which Jesus makes are clear. Again, this comes back to last week's point of our salvation not being for our own sake. And in verse 16, Paul says that Christ might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So Jew and Gentile, two into one. And today, those two sides of the equation could read with any racial or cultural language. Whatever we place there, we are one when we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are one. That peace, that being made one, Paul goes on to say, is to those who are near and those who are far. And this, this is where we move into verses 17 and we, and we start to look at this sure foundation. See, the Jews were nearer because they already knew God. They knew the scriptures. They worshipped him in their religious ceremonies. The Gentiles who are coming in, introduced to Jesus now, receiving that peace, recognizing that need for salvation. They, on the other hand, were far off. They knew little or nothing of God. This was their first kind of getting to know the scriptures. But Christ still brought them both peace. He proclaimed it to them. Neither group were able to be saved by works. Okay. And so they needed to be introduced to Christ. They needed to be introduced to the power of salvation through grace. And many of you will have heard me say this uh, many times, but it's poignant for right now. It's Richard Foster's words. The opposite of grace may be works, but it is not effort. We are saved by grace, not for our own sake, but for the sake of what God wants to do through us. So let's put the effort into figuring out what that is. Let's give our time. Let's give our energy. Let's give our resources to that effort. And we're reminded here in verse 19 of Paul's words that the church in Ephesus are no longer strangers. They're no longer foreigners, but they're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. We are family. Unity is the key. And what binds us together in Christ is love. But a word of warning. When Paul is talking about that citizenship, it isn't the citizenship that I have here in the US, that many of you will have, or the citizenship that you have wherever you're watching online from. Okay, to be a Roman citizen was to swear an oath or a vow that rendered you given to the gods. Okay, Paul had that vow on him from birth, hereditarily, as he was born into being a Roman citizen. Okay, today to become an American citizen, you have to pledge allegiance. But if you're born here, you don't. It's just assumed that you will live into what it is to be an American. So, yes, there's similarities when we use that term citizenship. But to be a citizen of heaven is much less like being a citizen of a republic, like we are here in the US. And it's much more like being a subject. Something which I am more than aware of growing up as a subject of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Okay? We are subjects of the king. We do not get to vote on who gets to rule us. We don't get to, to vote on how the laws are set to be governing us. We get to bow the knee 
and subject ourselves to his will. He is our foundation. You see the difference. Heaven is not a republic. So the term citizen, we've got to be very careful how we use that and how we understand that because heaven is not a republic. It is a kingdom. It is part of the kingdom of God where Christ reigns as king. And this is what it means to be no longer a stranger, to be no longer a foreigner. It is because nothing that we have done, nothing that we have done, it is all because of what Jesus has done. And as we accept him as our Lord and our savior, we get to live into that. Part of that is that subjecting ourselves to him and his will okay and paul concludes this part of the letter uh, by by referring to jesus as the cornerstone in whom the whole building is knit together it's growing into into a holy temple now this temple the temple is huge for the jewish people it's the place where god lived he had promised to dwell there and as such it was believed to be that 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 place where heaven and earth come together but here, Paul is saying, not anymore. That's no longer the case. God is doing a new thing. He is building a new temple. And guess what, people? You're that temple. This is what really we need to hold on to today. We are the body of Christ. This new temple in which God dwells. We're called to live into community, a community of believers who are knit together as they stand in Christ. Division has no place in this beautiful, beautiful picture which, were, which Paul is painting with his words. If we are truly, truly going to realize this new community where Jew and Gentile, and remember we can replace those words with anything today of the racial or cultural language that, that, that we need to. If we're gonna really, realize this new community and worship God together as one in Christ, then we need to act as one. And that means that we need to kick division into touch. We need a place of no division. We need to get back to a theology which is God-centered and not prefix focused. Let me pray for you. Father, give you thanks for this day, uh, for all that you're doing in and through us. We give you thanks for calling us to be part of your family, for coming alongside us and for helping us as we try to respond to that. Help us be a united body here at St. John, but also help us be a beacon to the rest of the church that they see it's all about you. It's all about you and bending the knee. It's all about you and are subjecting ourselves to your will 
may we come back to a theology focused on you. 100%. You at the center and us revolving around it, around you. In Jesus' name, amen.